0: Cats at Night show. We got a nice little rendition there of God Bless America on this Memorial Day where we honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. They call it freedom, but but it doesn't come free.
1: That is my number one song. I love that song most of all. And uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, we were down in Federal Hall, and we were doing a a discussion about... uh, our country and this was like six seven eight years ago and newt gingrich was there this former speaker of the house and he he is a historian and we had uh, democrats republicans we had liberals conservatives in that room we had a couple hundred people and at the end i made everybody stand up and we all sang god bless america and that made them feel extra special. Everybody felt extra special.
0: Absolutely. You got, I, John, I think everybody, anybody that knows you, the first thing they know about you is obviously you love your family, but then you also love your country. No one is more proud to be an American than, than you, I would say.
1: I understand we have one proud American with us right now. And uh, please introduce him.
0: General David Petraeus, What I mean, there's there's so much to say about General David Petraeus. Uh, general Petraeus, how are you, sir?
2: Good, thanks. Good to be with you. Thanks.
0: He's a retired U.S. Army general. He also served as a director of the CIA, and he, um, he served 37 years in the United States Army. And uh, thank you so much for your service, General Petraeus. It was the greatest of privileges. Thanks. Uh,
1: general, give us your evaluation of... Uh, where the heck are we right now And, and uh, uh, with our armed forces, uh, uh, Memorial Day, uh, the respect of the American people? I mean, uh, uh, I was mad as hell uh, last week when that uh, baseball manager uh, uh, refused to sing, uh, get up and sing the uh, Star Spangled Banner. Uh, give us your evaluation. Where the heck are we?
2: Well, I think our armed forces continue to be the very finest in the world. I think that the vast majority of those who are privileged to wear our uniform would say that there is really no no greater privilege. Uh, You have a mission larger than self, you pursue it with others who feel the same way. And and obviously there's an undeniable sense of identity uh, that goes along with all of that. It's very, very special. Uh, And I can assure you that those who take off the uniform for the last time uh, all miss it, regardless of what it is that they go on to do. Uh, Beyond that, I think that uh, the Americans, uh, by and large, uh, vastly, very, very much uh, appreciate what it is that those in uniform continue to do for our country, the sacrifices they continue to make. And, of course, on this day... When we remember those who gave the last full measure of devotion, as Abraham Lincoln described it, uh, is a very, very special one indeed. And it was great of you to start off with that wonderful song.
1: It it, it makes me feel extra special. Uh, give us your your evaluation of let's let's look at the big picture instead of talking about Russia, Ukraine, and all that stuff all over again. Give us the big picture of where you think our, our armed forces are in relationship to to China, Russia. And, and if you were an advisor to the president, what you would whisper in his ear right now?
2: Well, I think by and large we are doing and have been doing um, over several administrations uh, the right thing, which is to shift our focus steadily, uh, to rebalance, as the term is, to the – Indo Pacific, as it is now termed, to to note the importance of India being part of the greater Asia Pacific, but doing that while certainly keeping a very close eye on all the other challenges uh, that exist around the world, whether it's Russia, obviously, particularly high on the list right now, or the continued threat of Islamist extremists, uh, Iran, its nuclear program, its nefarious actions uh, in the Middle East, and missile threats and so forth, North Korea, certainly, with its nuclear program. Uh, and a variety of other uh, challenges that exist around the world that would also certainly include uh, the threats now in cyberspace and also in outer space. So uniquely, John, I think what's very important to understand about our military and really about our country is that we uniquely have to keep a lot of plates spinning, to use that metaphorical image of the guy in the circus who puts a plate in the stick and gets it spinning then gets a couple more going – Also uniquely, we have a lot of friends and partners and allies around the world to help us keep those plates spinning. And those alliances and partnerships matter an enormous amount. But, again, we have to keep more of these going at any given time. And, therefore, we have to be prepared for the entire range of threats, of challenges, uh, in a way that, again, no other country really does. Um, That is what makes uh, our military – very, very special. Um, And it's what makes it very, very challenging, frankly, to be in uniform right now, because you've got to be ready to do the so-called peer combat, major combat operations, but also still keep an eye on extremists and insurgents, but doing it by helping others uh, rather than doing it ourselves, ideally. Uh, And then being prepared and deterring uh, a variety, a host of other potential threats that are out there. And uniquely, we tend to lead these various efforts wherever they are in the world. Uh, and again, I think that sets the United States apart from all others. Uh, it means that that we have to have a degree of versatility uh, that, again, is, is unique. But I think we are very capable of doing that and that we are, by and large, doing that, noting that certainly we need to shift our procurement and research and development and all the rest of that even further into the uh, area away from these huge, incredibly expensive, also exquisitely capable large manned platforms to increasingly uh, unmanned uh, or remotely piloted. uh, Over time, it will actually be semi-autonomous, perhaps even autonomous platforms and systems. All of that lies in the future. And noting that in addition to the traditional domains of land, sea, and air, we also have cyberspace now and, of course, outer space as well. And our military is preparing for all of that, constantly making changes and tweaks and adjustments, uh, but, again, capable of doing all of that with the bipartisan support that exists on Capitol Hill right now uh, for those who are in uniform.
1: General, it's uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I want to ask you. I've been reading articles about China and Russia getting ahead of the United States in terms of advanced technology. What are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, in certain technologies, they may be ahead. Uh, in others, certainly not. I think. Um, I mean, a very, very clear example of right now is the fact that. Neither of those countries has produced an MNRA vaccine. Now, that's not a combat capability, but it certainly reflects a great deal about the scientific expertise that exists. And in many respects, the U.S. and the Western world, the world of our allies and partners, continues to have advantages, but we cannot rest on our laurels. Uh, We've got to continue to invest very heavily in research and development. We've got to support that. Uh, Right now, a huge initiative that has to be pursued and is being pursued, to be fair, is the fact that there are no cutting edge microchips actually manufactured in the United States anymore. The best of the microchips are made in Taiwan, South Korea, interestingly, using U.S. intellectual property, both in the production and in the actual chip design. Uh, But there are four plants, fabrication plants as they're termed, that are going to be uh, developed. In the United States, two in Phoenix, one in Austin, one in Ohio, but we shouldn't be in that situation Um, that went far too long uh, without being remedied and there's a number of other uh, issues like that. Why are we not on the cutting edge of 5G? That's one where clearly China's way ahead of us in terms of the infrastructure for that. Um, So we need to take stock. Uh, we need to recognize that we, this is a very, it's a, called a severe competition, is the description by our national security advisor of the U.S.-China relationship, uh, and we have to act accordingly. By the way, that should include welcoming the best and brightest from around the world. Um, I've often said that if you can get into MIT or Caltech or Stanford or Harvard or Princeton, above all, Princeton, of course, that, you know, you ought to have a, it's some kind of special visa staple to the letter of acceptance.
1: Last, last question before we have to take a break. Are we getting Chinese intelligence involved in our universities?
2: Well, there are legitimate concerns, uh, and there have been, uh, about theft of intellectual property, uh, about efforts to influence and, in some cases, stifle uh, discussion Uh, In our universities, uh, through a variety of different organizations, sometimes Confucius Institutes and so forth, Um, these are legitimate concerns. Uh, And, in fact, when I was still uh, in in government, uh, these were among the concerns that we were examining at that time together with our domestic partners, uh, the FBI in particular.
1: Well, the FBI uh, tells me they only have 1,000 agents to to monitor 380,000 Chinese students.
2: You have the number better than I do. Uh, It was always a daunting task. There's no question about that. Uh, And again, it is something that we need to focus resources on. Again, keep in mind there's more in these task forces than just the FBI, although they are certainly the ones that head the uh, efforts and that uh, are the the real reservoir of the greatest uh, of the talent that is being brought to bear on those. But again, this is a team sport. Universities uh, are involved in this very, very heavily. Uh, any advanced manufacturing and, and uh, research and development organizations have to be engaged in this. Everybody's gotta, gotta work together uh, and ensure when there is something that is not uh, appropriate going on uh, because it's helping a competitor uh, rather than just pursuing academic inquiry.
1: General, thank you so much for calling in this Memorial Day weekend. And and we all feel uh, the solace of uh, of Memorial Day. And uh, God bless you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And God bless America. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, John. Always a privilege. Thank you.
1: Let's take a break. And uh, we're going to be coming back. And we have Congresswoman Nicole Takis, We have Dr. Michalos. And we've got a su- surprise guest Calling in from the ball field in Staten Island, uh, we have Eric Scheffler, And let's take that break first.
2: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this?